0: We
1: Welcome to the Sense of Soul podcast. We are your hosts, Shannon and Mandy. Grab your coffee,
0: open your mind, heart, and soul. It's time to awaken. Today, we have with us author Philippe Symbol. Yes. He holds a certificate of astrological studies. He is an author of many books and his recent book he has joined us on this new moon to talk about today this book is called the scavengers of beauty where he explores the symbolism behind the 1969 moon landing it's an honor to have you today philippe and boy did i have to go back to my roots to pronounce your name nice to meet
1: you
2: i'm french but i live in the uk
0: I'm French, but I was born in Louisiana, (laughs) and French Creole as well.
2: Ah, okay, but French like from way back or?
0: Oh yeah, my family were the first immigrants to this land in this early 1700s.
2: Indeed, okay, yes, long time ago. Can you speak a bit of Cajun?
0: Well, you know, growing up, we have our own French. (laughs) All right. It's funny because I'll say words and they sound French,
1: but I don't think they are. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> okay. <laughs> For some reason today we're all wearing similar colors, I wonder what that I mean. symbolizes. We all have on red. Are you guys feeling rooted today? Very mm. much so. Are you? I'm not.
2: Your head is in the moon, so it's difficult to be rooted.
1: Oh, you got the moon behind you, Shanna.
2: Wait, Shanna? <laughs> ah, yes, indeed.
1: <laughs> True. Yes, maybe I need to put an
0: earth behind me.
2: Maybe or under your feet.
0: Oh, you're, Yeah, you know it. That's that's good. I, you know, you are about symbolism, aren't you?
2: Yeah, I try to. Yes, I, I I'm very interested in symbolism. Yeah, absolutely.
0: Yeah, it's very significant. I think more than we realize.
2: Yeah, I think the symbol has been really been a casualty of modern world, you know. We lost that ability to see symbolically. Yeah, yeah.
1: we
0: are really in love with your book. I mean, wow.
1: Yeah.
0: Yeah, you had both of us going, what? Wow, really?
2: <laughs> yeah, well, that's the point, really. Okay,
1: so, yeah.
0: Wonderful.
2: Well, then
1: you definitely accomplished that. Well, I just wanted to add that I also saw that you're a writer for the Gaia Foundation. You have been doing poetry for many, many years. Is that correct?
2: Mm -hmm. Yeah, Yeah. that's correct. Yeah.
1: Through your book, I got to know you a little bit. You are a mountain climber.
2: (laughs) Yes, indeed. Well, you read read that book well. Congratulations.
1: Yeah. Uh, Yeah. You know what? I really enjoyed the way you described that, your words, and then... You know correlating it with the astronaut it was beautiful and so tell us just a little bit about more about you where did you grow up what's your story <laughs>
2: what is my story well i, I grew up in france in Troyes, which is a well medium-sized town just east of paris maybe 100 miles away from paris i really started in a very so to speak conventional way went to business school studied economics and different areas of business which really, cannot say, found fascinating, but I went along. And then I started my life in oil, in crude oil. I was a a trader of crude oil. I was buying and selling big cargoes of crude oil. But that all changed when I hit 42, I had a big experience and um, I just left my job and went embarked on a very different path which was away from crude oil and initially involved being setting up a company to sell a cola, a fizzy drink made with, with um, fair trade sugar. And that path led me to Malawi in Africa, where I set up a little foundation for uh, microfinance, which is about lending small amounts of money to disadvantaged women. Yeah, that led me on to Gaia Foundation uh, and to astrology and to all sorts of things, really. <laughs>
1: Love that. Talk about an amazing purpose to help these women out in a completely different country because they need it. And Shanna and I, we tried to do the you know, the fair trade with our boutique truck and always try to support these women from other countries who make such beautiful products so I I loved that when I read that you did that
2: it's wonderful I mean I, I go it's been going on for 10 years and I go there twice a year usually although this year because of COVID I haven't been but I hope I'll be able to go by the end of the year so hopefully but it's wonderful going there and you go to the village and you have all these women like 15 20 of them sitting under the tree in their beautiful you know garments and telling their story, uh, it's, it, it's wonderful, really. I love it.
1: That is kind of where wonderful. Shan and I, like you, it seems, went through a shift in our life that was mm. a different direction.
2: Mm, absolutely. And I, I talk about it in the in the book as well. And I look at it in symbolic terms too. And I link that to the sun and the moon. So I, and the way I like to look at my life so far, so to speak, is that the first part until I was 42 was was very much under the uh, symbolism of the sun, and since then it's been under the symbolism of the moon. But it's, it's just one way to look at it. Of course, there are many different possibilities and ways to engage with one's life. In the perspective of this book, that's how I looked at it.
0: So let me ask you, is it a non-fiction book? Is it a fiction book? I mean, there's, there are some facts in there. There's a lot of your interpretation. There's also facts, a lot of mathematical equations and different synchronicities that you were actually able to connect to astrology, which is pretty precise. What do you consider this book? Or how do you explain this book of like what kind of book it is as in fact or fiction?
2: (laughs) That's a good question, actually, because in the introduction to the book, I actually kind of warn the reader, so to speak, or just tell the reader that, well, it's a bit of a hybrid a strange beast, this book, it's, uh, it's not academic, even though it draws on many academic sources. It's not fiction because it's about real events, cultural events like the moon landing or my own life, and yet it tells a story. It's not poetry, but there is a little bit of a poetic take on it. So it is a strange hybrid animal and it doesn't fit neatly into any category, I'm afraid. <laughs>
1: What hybrid animal would you pick to describe your book?
2: Ah, that's a good one. Uh, Maybe a sphinx? Oh
1: (laughs) I love it. I appreciated your book for so many reasons. I did really appreciate also your authenticity and your vulnerability to share your story. You let us in a little bit and tied it in, but you're right. Like it had my brain going in circles because there's just so much to it. It actually kept me up all night. So if I look tired, it's your fault. Okay,
2: I take the blame.
1: <laughs> I was dreaming about being in space and being with like Greek gods. So it wasn't a bad thing, but it kept waking me up. And I kept having to go back to chapters to read it again because it's a lot to process.
2: Yeah, I accept that. It's uh, it's quite a lot of things. And... It does indeed look at this particular event, which is the the moon landing, the 1969 moon landing, from different angles. And I think it asks of the reader to have a little bit of plasticity and be able to look at that both from a symbolic, poetic angle, but also from a more rational most scientific angle as well. And I've, because that's the point of the book is to blend everything and not just be stuck in one way of looking at things, which usually in our world is a very rational, yeah, rational scientific way to uh, to mm-hmm. apprehend reality, but also Definitely. be open to uh, to a symbolic take, which is just as valid and is complementary, I think, to... Um,
0: I do too. I would agree. It's not black and white. Thank you. Have you always been a moon person, a moon child?
2: Well, I was born on a full moon and it took me a while to realize that whenever the, the moon is full, I definitely raise my gaze to the, to the heavens and look at it a bit more intently. And then when I started to study astrology, I realized I was, I was born on a full moon. Yeah, I suppose the moon has always been a bit of a mystery to me. It's more really in the last 10 to 15 years that I've paid more attention to, to her.
1: Okay, so you said her. Can we start there? Can you tell our listeners about that?
2: Yeah, it's a big thing, you know, this thing about masculine, feminine, sun and moon, and especially today in the current context when maybe sexuality becomes a bit more blurred and genders are obviously much more blurred and fluid than they used to be. I want to highlight the fact it's very important not to conflate gender and archetype. So, for instance, the way I look at the moon, I say her because I think archetypally she's feminine. It's not to say that you don't have moon gods or that the moon cannot be gendered masculine as well. But archetypally, in in essence, I think she's feminine, just as the sun is also masculine archetypally, although like in German, for instance, the sun is feminine, it's It's, it's a feminine uh, word. Uh, and in many cultures, the sun is, is feminine and the moon masculine. And yet, essentially, they carry, I think, the moon carries feminine values and the sun masculine values. That's how I look at it in the book. And I'm not saying it's the absolute truth. Anyway, symbols are very fluid. A symbol is a symbol in a particular culture or a particular context. Another culture would have a totally different take on the symbol, and it would be just as valid. And that is what is so difficult to comprehend for for a rational mind, because rational minds, they like black and white. It's this or that, but it cannot be both or either. So, as I say, it it requires of the reader a little bit of plasticity and ability to, um, to be in doubt, not to have Black and white answers. Basically.
1: You know, I, I enjoyed that part of the book where you explained the symbolism and you talked about how it operates in the here and now. Hick and nunc. Yes. I never yeah. heard of it. I, lo- I had to look it up. I'm like, what the heck is that? It sounds like a hot dog could order at a Rockies game or something. <laughs>
2: That's a good one. <laughs>
1: As I was reading that chapter, um, I looked at my phone and for some reason, every time I was reading your book and I looked up, it was 555, oh. 5.55 a.m., 5.55 at night. And so I looked up the symbolism, then I went back, finished that chapter, and you described symbolism. It was, it was just like this really cool experience I had while I was reading your book. Because you're right, symbolism can shift and it can change. Yes,
2: and absolutely. It's uh, very dependent on the context. That's the whole point and that's why this here and now is also so important because it's all about context and it's very much the way traditional societies, for instance, looked at divination. When something was happening in the tribe that was unusual, it was extremely relevant because it was out of the ordinary. The way our culture functions is the opposite. Whenever something doesn't fit with the model, it's discarded as irrelevant. So it's two opposite ways to engage with reality. That's what is is fascinating, I think.
0: Why was the mission to the moon named after the god of the sun and not after the moon goddess or god? Back to that feminine and masculine energy we were talking about. This is the question that you pondered on, This is where it started.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And you
0: couldn't find anything on this.
2: Yeah, for me, it seemed like such a a simple, obvious question that uh, I barely dare raise it. But then I looked around and I couldn't find anything about it. And I was surprised, really. Uh, So I thought, well, I'm not saying I checked everywhere, but I tried to. And anyway, wherever I checked, I couldn't find anything on the subject. So I thought, well, if nobody has looked into it, then I will. And therefore, it just started this inquiry about sun and moon symbolism. And that's the, yeah, that's the starting point of the book is is this simple question, which leads to much bigger questions about the evolution of consciousness, really, and looked at through a sun-moon angle which I find really interesting. And again, it's not absolute truth, but it's just a take on the evolution of human consciousness, you know, from way back, even paleolithic times when the moon was really the main object in the sky and all the way to this incredible technological achievement of landing on the moon. with a mission named after the God of the sun. Why? why? Why is that? What does it say about us, actually?
1: Another thing I thought about while I was reading about the different consciousness was, are you saying that people have different consciousness based on the God that they were worshiping as well?
2: I think it's the other way around. I think the God that people have been worshiping is a reflection of the consciousness. Mm. So it's more about we create our gods depending on our consciousness. And the gods, goddesses are a reflection of our consciousness. Now, when I'm saying that, this is not to deny the divine or spirit or whatever you call it, I'm not, you know, but I'm just saying, because we are humans, we are limited in our perception of -hmm. the divine. And therefore, we kind of project onto the divine, our own limited consciousness. And obviously. Thousand of years after thousand of years, this consciousness evolves. So 2,000 years ago, the Romans were worshipping Jupiter and Minerva and, and Apollo. And today we are not. And yet for the Romans, these gods were, you know, primly valid and they were part of their life. So that's my take on this. And I'm focused more particularly, of course, on Apollo the name of the mission, and Apollo is a god that appeared in Greece a long time ago, maybe 3,000 years ago, more or less. And the image of Apollo himself has changed. The Greeks looked at Apollo in a particular way, the Romans in a particular way, and we do in another way, which is we have assigned to Apollo qualities of reason, detachment, objectivity, rationalism, Uh, scientific excellence, which is why he was such an obvious candidate for the mission to the moon, because he reflected that consciousness of technological excellence, of scientific excellence, if you want. But initially, Apollo was also a god of prophecy and the god of of music, but this was stripped, if you want, little by little, until he became more this embodiment of reason and objectivity and excellence, technological excellence.
0: All right, I'm going to be honest. When I first hear the word Apollo, do you know what my brain does? Rocky! He beat Apollo! Of
2: course. <laughs> Absolutely.
0: My brain. My dad was a huge Rocky fan. Loved all of them.
2: Well, that's it. It's um, cultural dependent.
0: It is. Isn't that interesting? Okay, this is America. You know, I'm (laughs) 40-something years old. Then I go to a spaceship. Then I go to a god. Isn't that interesting? Mm. Just like you said, my environment, my education, you know, different things all made up what I believe or what I see as a god. It's so freaking crazy to me right now. Mandy and I, we're not like, we don't know a lot about astrology and definitely not about Greek mythology, but now like kind of want to learn more about it.
2: I have to say astrology is is really a fascinating subject and opens so many doors. It does open the door to, to Greek mythology and opens the door to symbolism and to psychology and consciousness. It's so vast.
1: The way you described astrology was so beautiful. Can you describe it?
2: Well, I think there is so much misunderstanding and so many misconceptions of what astrology is. But I think what you're referring to, Mandy, is when I say that astrology is not a superstitious tool to predict the future. It's an ethical practice to co-create it. So what I mean by that is it's not about trying to literally predict the future about this is going to happen you're going to meet tall dark stranger or whatever it's about engaging with the stars as symbols and engaging with the stars in order to co-create that future that is to be an actor in your future because then you can anticipate the symbolic unfolding of your life which is very different from a literal unfolding in your life it's not about This is going to happen, not at all. But it's about, oh, you're entering a period when Saturn, as a symbol, is going to be very strong. Now, what does Saturn mean? Well, it means a number of things. It means restrictions, it could mean limitations, it could also mean materialization. So maybe it's a good period for you, instead of going all over the place, to actually focus more in your inner life to what you want to achieve and maybe now, or say in the next year, now is a good time to actually materialize that project that you've carried for so long. Or maybe now is the time to study whatever it is you are engaged with. That's what I mean by an ethical practice to co-create it because I think it's about engaging with the symbol in order to lead a more conscious life.
1: So I was a bit surprised, and maybe it's because I don't know a lot, but I didn't realize you could use astrology on an event like you did with Apollo. I thought it would be on a person and their birth.
2: An astrological chart is nothing but a chart of the sky at a particular moment. That's all it is, you know? When somebody draws your astrological chart or an astrological chart, it is, at a given moment, a reflection of how the sky looks like. That's all it is. So in that sense, you could draw the chart of a snail being born. And this is why actually, it's very important to know when you see a chart, you cannot assume that it's from a person. It's, a chart is not of a person or a, of something. A chart is a reflection of the sky at a given moment. Now. Mm-hmm. If that given moment is your birth, the time of your birth, then it's relevant to you. If it's the moment of the birth of a fly, it's relevant to the fly. And you obviously cannot draw the same conclusions on the chart of a fly compared to the chart of a person. But it can also reflect a moment in time of an event. In this particular instance, the time when um, the eagle, the lunar module landed on the lunar surface, then, it landed at this particular time. Then, what was the sky looking like at that time? There are maps of the sky, nothing.
1: That makes sense, I appreciate that. That just broke it down for me a little bit. Where did you get this information? Was it just out there on Apollo and the exact time it landed? Yeah,
2: it's, it's out there, it's very easy to find, and it's on the NASA website as well. They just give all the information, so it's very easy to find.
0: So what you found was there was a, a connection it just happened to be a very precise connection between what was happening in the stars with the landing on the moon.
2: Well, yeah, I thought I the chart of the moon landing was really interesting in different ways. And I don't want to maybe to be too technical about it, but I thought there was, for instance, the astrological moon of the moon landing was aligned to the astrological sun of NASA, which I find very relevant because NASA was created really to challenge the USSR in the space race and to establish American supremacy in the heavens. And very quickly it became linked to a successful moon landing. So I just found very fascinating that the astrological sun of NASA is the essence of NASA, its mission, what it is about. I just found it fascinating that this Essence was aligned with the exact moment when the Moon landing happened. My point is that this Apollo mission, the God of the Sun, is is a solar mission because it was named after the God of the Sun, but there are other elements symbolically in the mission that makes it, it a very solar mission. One of them is Neil Armstrong, the first man on the Moon, was a Leo. And Leo is a sign ruled by the Sun, which I find also symbolically very interesting. Now, it's not like a huge thing or whatever, but I look at it symbolically, and I'm, I'm quite fascinated by the fact that the first man on the moon is actually as a sun sign ruled by the sun, and came on a mission called after the god of the sun. I draw a few um, threads in that direction, and it all adds up to this sense of the moon mission being very solar in, in essence.
1: Yeah, because you went in and actually did a chart of Neil Armstrong. And then what I thought was fascinating, and I don't want to give our listeners too much because there's so much amazing synchronicities and symbolism in your book, but I loved the correlation and the symbolism that you talked about as far as Eagle and Neil Armstrong being the lion. I was like mind blown. I also was mind blown about how you talked about NASA having this kind of niche for mythology because of they named one Mercury, Gemini, Apollo.
2: Yeah, it's really interesting to look at NASA from that angle as well, because of course NASA represents like scientific excellence. No question.
0: I know I have found so many synchronicities over the past few days into your book and having me question some things. I've done a lot of research and and have been shocked by some of the things that I have found that are connected between, say, like the Vatican and our space programs here. Also, some of the research that I've done on angels, um, Mandy and I have kind of went on this angels and alien thing. And so when you're talking about lion and you're talking about eagle, those are faces of angels, you know, that are described in the Bible with wings. All the synchronicities.
2: Yes, it's uh, very tempting to be dragged down the rabbit hole. Yes. <laughs> like for instance, I don't entertain conspiracy theories about the moon landing. Not because I don't find them interesting, because I think they are very interesting, but at some point, I had to take a position, and therefore, in the book, I assume that the moon landing did happen. Now, about what you what you said about symbolism, about lion and eagle and angels and the Vatican and the rest of it, personally, I haven't looked into this uh, too much, and, and I, I think it's very interesting to look into that and to uh, to dig a bit a bit more, as much as you want to. But I think it's also there is a fine line between. Uh, it's seducive, it's very seductive. That's what I mean. It's a fine line between being dragged down this rabbit hole and being kind of cool head. That's an interesting exercise in itself, you know, is is to explore while at the same time not being too seduced by it sometimes or keeping oh wow oh, wow oh, 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 by connecting the dots and yeah. covering dots that you had never thought of before. I think it's a fascinating area, in fact, discovering all these different things and trying to make sense of them all without being sucked down completely and losing your mind because where does it stop? So then let
0: me ask you, you took this information from the rabbit holes that you were going down by Mm -hmm. one, you know, discovering one thing after in these synchronicities that were hard to ignore. And you were then comparing them and seeing significant symbolism in your own life.
2: Yeah, I, I drew a parallel, if you want. Uh, the starting point was my astrological chart. As I said, I was born on a, on a full moon. And a full moon is an opposition between the sun and the moon, astrologically. Yeah, the sun and the moon are in opposition. That's, that's and, and physically, that's what a full moon is. So I thought that by exploring the symbolism of the moon landing through the eye of the Apollo mission, I was also addressing my own astrological chart, if you want, my own astrological makeup. So by trying to understand or to approach the mission from this angle of sun and moon symbolism, I felt that I was also addressing my own sun-moon symbolism, as shown by my astrological chart. So that's how I, you know, I work the parallel between the. Because in the end, why does one study butterflies and another one studies planets? And why do I choose to spend so much time studying Sun and Moon symbolism? Why, what does it say about me? I found a parallel in my own, looking at, at my own astrological chart and my own life, I made the connection. But it's only a very personal take, obviously. Again, it's not about truth as such, you know? It's about one way to look at oneself and in relation to a huge cultural event.
1: But it's your truth, right? Yeah,
2: yeah, it, it, well, it is, and but I don't want to be stuck in it either, you know? It's one possible truth, yes. <laughs> yeah.
1: You know, just for our listeners, I, w- I would highly recommend your book. It really, it got my brain going like crazy, hence that I didn't sleep. I will say, that there were times where I felt myself going down a rabbit hole where I wanted to like start researching if religion played a part in the moon landing because I was like, please don't tell me it did, please.
0: <laughs> I really am curious what you've discovered, uncovered, or had realization of in looking into that.
2: So looking at religion, yeah, uh, within the space program, it's also very interesting. And there are two main aspects I've been looking at. The first one is, of course, something I discovered that I didn't know because it's, it's not well known, although it's not a secret at all. It's easy to find and check. Buzz Aldrin, who was the second man of, on the moon after Neil Armstrong, who was a um, two-man crew uh, on the first mission. Buzz Aldrin was a, a very devout Christian and he took with him a wafer and some wine. the Moon, and when the lunar module landed on the lunar surface, before the two astronauts walked and went out and walked, there were a few hours just to check everything was fine, and Buzz Aldrin took the time to perform communion, the Christian rite, on the Moon. So the first food consumed on the Moon was was a wafer, and the first drink was, was wine. And I thought that was, symbolically, it was absolutely uh, staggering when I discovered that. I thought, wow, that's incredible. So what does it say again? Well, of course, it says that Buzz Aldrin is very Christian and wanted to give to the event. He wanted to give a, a bigger meaning than just scientific achievement. But of course, being a Christian and from a Christian heritage, he gave it a Christian meaning. So that's one part of the subject of religion and and the space program. The other part is maybe more about spirituality than religion, and it's the experience of the astronauts themselves in space. And for a few of them it's been really life-changing, and it's been a profound spiritual experience being in space. And in particular, looking back at Earth and looking back at this beautiful blue planet in the, in the dark of space, it's, it's been very profound for, for some astronauts, not all of them, but for some of them, it's been very profound. And for a couple of them, a true spiritual experience. Like it, the most famous one is Edgar Mitchell on Apollo 14. And Edgar Mitchell on the way back home at what is called... A, a Savakalpi Samadhi experience, which is a a sense of unity consciousness. And when he came back to Earth, he created the Institute of Noetic Sciences. So for him, it's been a a full-blown spiritual uh, ecstatic experience. For some other astronauts, it was not as profound or as shattering, but still uh, they developed a very profound sense of the unity of life, if you want, and connectedness of life and it also affected them very much. But some others were not affected at all. So, but I, I thought it was interesting to look at some experiences or some reports from the astronauts themselves and how they reacted to, to being outside the orbit of the Earth and looking back at Earth from the Moon.
0: Why um, haven't we gone back to the Moon? Have you wondered that?
2: Well, we've been six times, yeah? There were six missions to the Moon, between seven, sixty-nine, and 72. Six missions to the moon. And then we stopped. Why did we stop? Well, I think first of all, the, the cost of the program was, was huge. And what is maybe less known is that even with the first moon landing, there was a strong opposition in the U.S. about this program. Many people thought, you know, you'd better spend the money on to social programs rather than spend it to, to go to the moon. There was an opposition in the U.S. against the, the space program. The main point of the program was ready to establish supremacy I think, for the U.S. versus the Russians, and to prove to the world that the Americans were the first there. The Americans have been six times there, and there were no real, there were some, of course, many scientific benefits, but I don't think there were any economic benefits from going there, and therefore, I think it just naturally stopped uh, but obviously now it's, it's a different story. Fifty years later, suddenly the moon is interesting again as a stopover to go to Mars.
0: My take was that when I was reading this and thinking about this, when you think about the masculine energy, it's the action. It's the fire. It's the um, the duty almost. And going to the stillness and the being of the feminine energy of the moon.
2: Yeah, I mean, in our culture, in our Western culture, the masculine energy stands for indeed action, while the feminine energy is about reception. Now, if you look at the Hindus, for instance, it's the opposite, that's why it's so interesting. You know, Shiva is the ground of being, it's totally passive. And Shakti is the active principle, the feminine energy. So that's why symbols are so fascinating because they are so cultural dependent. So yes, you're right. In, in our own culture, that's, that's what the masculine stands for and the feminine stands for, but it's not universal and it could be the opposite. And it's just as valid. So it's, it's what is so difficult to understand and to apprehend for a very rational mind because a rational mind doesn't accommodate ambiguity. It's either or. It's this or that. In, that's it. And if it's so not, that's-
0: that's creating your own like you said, your own God consciousness, basically.
2: Yeah, well, it's um it's a reflection of something. It's a reflection of a consciousness.
0: You talk about solar conscious. Can you explain that just
2: What I mean by solar consciousness is a consciousness that is based on sun symbolism, and by mm-hmm. that I mean masculine, patriarchal, logical. So that's what I mean by solar consciousness, just as by lunar consciousness I mean the mm-hmm. opposite.
0: Gotcha. But the, main,
2: the main difference I suppose is that the solar consciousness is either or. Mm. sun is light and the opposite of light is the shadow. It's it's very it's either or. While the moon, the moon is mm-hmm. both ends, because the moon is dark as it is as she is today, but mm-hmm. then in two weeks' time will be full. And you know waxes and wanes and changes and shifts and therefore the moon is both light and dark while the, the sun is only light and generates darkness through the shadow so there is that autonomy.
0: and they're the same size
2: exactly they are the same size which for me is an endless source of fascination
0: it blows my mind
2: it absolutely it's it's totally utterly fascinating and and when you bring in the eclipses in, in that, and it's this dance between sun and moon is, is absolutely amazing. It's, it's so beautiful.
1: I have to bring this up because this is what Shanna and I talk about is we're all about getting to know our own souls. And, you know, we live in a very ego world. And I loved your chapter that you did about the soul the soul mean to you? How did this landing on the moon, how did you connect that to the soul?
2: Well, it's, it, I'm really drawing on a number of spiritual and philo- philosophical traditions whereby the moon is very often associated with the soul, while the sun is associated with spirit. I'm drawing on the work of uh, Henri Corbin, French uh, philosopher, and, uh, and Jung as well, and Hillman, uh, who have been working so much to give the soul it's, uh, or her, I should, her dues again. And their take was that in the last, especially in the last 2000 years or so, we have been caught between the body and the spirit, but that we lost this intermediary principle, which is the soul, called the soul. Now, how do you define the soul itself? So what I've been really looking at myself is is the fact that is to look at the Moon as sim- symbolic of the soul. So, by going to the Moon, it's, we recover a sense of what the soul is, because we have been lost or stuck between dualism, between the material, which is, could be Earth, for instance, and the spiritual, Symbolized by the Sun. So the Moon is this intermediary principle and this is, you know, it's not me coming up with that It's from Neoplatonist tradition as well and and many psychologists in the 20th century have also worked on that uh, Reconnecting with the soul and and by by going physically to the Moon, therefore I'm saying symbolically we are reconnecting with the soul as well.
1: It's a beautiful symbolism.
0: Why do you think that they chose to name the spaceship after the sun.
2: I think the, the reason why it was uh, named after Apollo is because Apollo has come to symbolize all mm-hmm. the qualities that were required to achieve a successful mission, which is okay. professionalism, rationalism, mm-hmm. clarity of mind, excellence, objectivity, detachment. It's the cool gaze of science. And that's what Apollo has come to symbolize in our world. Therefore, it was okay. quite logical that unconsciously, in a sense, it would apply to the mission.
0: Do you believe in other beings from space, extraterrestrials?
2: I don't have a strong opinion on that, to, be, to okay. be honest. I feel like the human itself is mysterious enough, and I don't really need alien <laughs> to... To,
0: to, to, <laughs> to go there, too? Going down a wormhole rather a rabbit.
2: Happy to consider that there are, there are other life forms in the universe. Why not? Probably there right.
0: is. Also looking at how important and and maybe it is was just the supremacy of wanting to be on the moon, but this was a huge thing for President Kennedy. Yeah. And I don't know if if you've heard, but there was things that had been released that were confidential was given to him right before his death that people thought that maybe he was maybe going to release confidential evidence of like UFOs or extraterrestrials. And then maybe that's possibly even how he died.
1: Wasn't Kennedy our first Catholic president also?
2: Yeah, I think you're right. Shoosh. I definitely, I think I put in my book at some point that there is more than meets the eye in the space program. So that, I would agree.
1: Do you think NASA had hired some brilliant astrologer to help them to design this trip to the moon?
2: I wondered. I really wonder. Maybe. I wouldn't be surprised.
1: Because amount of coincidences or synchronicities or whatever you want to call them are absolutely mind-blowing in your book. It's such a cool book. There is a lot of things in this book that will get your mind going, that's for sure.
2: I cannot help thinking that uh, some magic was involved in this space program. Now, magic is is a very unclear term and, you know, recovers many different areas. And I know some people feel uncomfortable about the word itself. But... That's how I, see, I look at it. I feel there is more than meets the eye. There, there is a kind of esoteric dimension to it that is not acknowledged. That's my own perception, really.
1: I think that's the part in your book where you broke it down, like, was it the chicken or the egg? Were the stars just aligned or was it planned?
2: Mm, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah
1: your book. I was a little intimidated by it at first because I don't know a lot about astrology, but I think that for our listeners, they need to know that you don't need to know a whole lot in order to grasp it.
0: Yeah. Okay.
1: You know, me and Shanna talk a lot about being present, maybe taking a little bit more time to be present and look at these symbols and things around you and what they could actually really truly be trying to tell you. And mm-hmm. your book placed that on my heart. And now it's time for Break That Shit Down!
2: Love the Earth. That's what this book is about, I think. It's about loving the Earth. And yes, Have your eyes in the sky, but your feet on the Earth is so important. And I have to remind myself that constantly. Or Hillman said it another way. He said, you don't have to grow up, you have to grow down. And I I love that as well. It's about growing down. It's about connecting so much to this beautiful planet and being there and fully present indeed on this amazing blue planet.
0: I love how you called it the Earth, Lapis Lazuli. I thought of the Earth as this beautiful little marble of lapis, I was like, oh.
2: There is a a famous picture by NASA actually called Blue Marble. You can find it very easily on the internet and it's called Blue Marble. And it's this staggeringly beautiful picture of Earth uh, in in all around this, it's amazing. So that's the blue marble, the lapis lazuli.
1: If they came to you today and said, hey, you wanna hop on this rocket with me go to the moon, would you you go?
2: Yeah, definitely. (laughs)
1: Well, you have pleasure. Um, I have to just say that was the best break that shit down we've ever had. It was beautiful. Thank you for that.
2: Thank you for, to both of you. It was wonderful to be with you. Very lively and entertaining. I loved it. Thank you so much.
1: Yeah, thank you so much. And thank you for this beautiful book and for putting your positive energy and love out into the world.
2: Thank you.
0: Where do our listeners find your amazing book and, and more about you?
2: Well, it's going to be officially released on the 28th of August.
1: I know, yay.
2: And it's already possible to pre-order it on uh, on Amazon and other platforms. It's also available as an ebook.
0: I wish you a very, very successful book launch.
2: Thank you very much. You're very kind. I appreciate it. Thank you. This podcast It's also very well needed in this world.
1: Great, thank <laughs> you. We
2: copy you down,
0: Eagle. We are
2: down. Eagle is on the moon. Tranquility here.